0: These books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Hello and welcome to TFM's local books and comic show. And I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm so glad to be back with the one and only Bruce Gibson.
1: Yeah. Hey, here I am. Hey, I have to admit something. There's many times where I'm getting ready to podcast and I'm like, I don't really feel like doing it, but as soon as we get started, I start to get excited.
0: So I'm so ready now. I'm pumped. That's awesome, man. I am too. Um, Honestly, you know, we're going to be talking about Trader Wins tonight, uh, our third book in the Lost Years era, even though it takes place before Flag of Stars, which I'm sure we can talk a little bit about, so that'll be fun. But um, we don't have a ton in the news this week, Bruce, but we did want to mention and remind everybody that as this is coming out, next week on Tuesday, 7, the 17th of August, Picard Rogue Elements is going to be coming out and uh, our good friend John Jackson Miller, his new book they are dropping in the Picard series. So want to remind everybody that. Really excited about that because uh, not only do we want to remind you to pick it up, but you need to read it because we're going to have John Jackson Miller on very, very soon uh, to talk about it and you're going to be able to want to listen to the interview.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about this book. I I mean, I've been happy with all of the Star Trek card books at this point. And, you know, John Jackson Miller said at the virtual shore leave that this is one of his longest books, if not, I think the longest. And he was very excited about it. He's pumped about this book. So if he's pumped, I'm pumped.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think anytime an author is is really excited about what they've been able to do uh, is really interesting uh, to me and I think usually makes for an excellent book. And so I, I, you know, I can't wait. And in all honesty, you know, um, regardless of what I thought of Picard the show, I do have to say I think that the books have been really good. Uh, You know, both of them have done great jobs of filling in the gaps with things um, and so, you know, I, I feel like there's a ton of gaps, obviously, to fill in with Rios. And I think, you know, to me, um, you know, we got a taste of what the backstory is for him. And, uh, you know, I'm actually going to kind of be fascinated to see just how much they let him play um, with that backstory. I mean, are they basically going to allow him to tell the entire backstory in this book yeah. and not like have it on screen? I don't know. I wondered
1: that myself because I'm sure they have some kind of series Bible with has a background for mm-hmm. this character that probably John followed some of that, which they could still overwrite that if they wanted to. But if they're allowing him to write this novel, I think they're firmly establishing whatever background they've given him. But I also think we'll get some background from what I hear on not just Rios, but the other Rioses, mm-hmm. those holographic ones. Yes.
0: That'll be fun. I, You know, I, I think... What will be nice is that, and in all honesty, I, Picard had some things like that where it's just like it just shows you that and you're like, what in the world? Like, you just don't have any good kind of like narrative idea of the why of it so to finally kind of get that answer i think would be fantastic so again you know i love john jackson miller i love his writing I've you know i've read his star wars books his star trek books and uh his Star Trek uh, his Star Wars comics. So I'm very excited to see, you know, what he's got in store for us. I think it's just gonna be fantastic.
1: Yeah, and there is some input from the show. I mean, you know, Kirsten Byers there working with him
0: to make sure it all kind of connects. So I think it's gonna be interesting. A hundred percent. Well, Bruce, uh before we, you know, dive into everything, just a quick reminder, of course, you know you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and so Please give us a star rating review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Help the show grow. It's been a really long time since Literary Trex has had a new review there. Of course, you can subscribe and get the podcasts wherever you get podcasts. And so make sure you subscribe. You get the episodes as soon as they drop. You can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've also got a listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference there. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world. Uh, you can also... Find us online at track.fm, and maybe you'd like to send us an email. You can go to the contact section and do that there as well. And then last but not least, want to say a huge thank you to the associate producers here that we have. Um, we've got Greg Rosier and Casey Petit, and we really do appreciate them supporting the network as well as the show through Patreon. Patreon is the best place uh, to support the network. If you love that we do what we do here and you want it to continue, please go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of the team. Uh, In the end, every little bit helps, uh, and we could definitely use your support. Um, It's been something that uh, has has gone down quite substantially in the last year, and we could definitely use the support of you, the listener. So again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you could be part of our team. But, Bruce, you know, I think it's time to see where those trader winds are blowing.
1: Yeah, they're blowing right over there.
0: So, uh, Bruce, I wanted, you know, I didn't even think about it, and I don't know why, uh, but I, I feel like that we should talk about the fact that this book is actually one that takes place before Flag of Stars and how you feel like this fits into this series that we've been going through. Mainly because, you know, uh, we found out that Kirk got married in the last book. And there's absolutely no mention of his wife whatsoever in this book at all. And so I was really, I, I was kind of thrown by the fact that this book is supposed to take place before a flag Full of Stars, and that we don't get any mention of Siana, um, and so that seemed very strange.
1: That's a very good question, because the book to me did not feel like it takes place before a Flag Full of Stars, and I, where did we get that? I mean, we did hear that this is supposed to take place before a Flag Full of Stars. But I re- also remember later in this book there was mention that the mm-hmm. refit of the Enterprise was getting closer to being done. That they would be boarding her like in s- just
0: months. Like it wasn't like a year later. Yeah. At this point, the 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 saucer is still on on Earth because that's where they're refitting it. Uh, and the you know when spoiler alert for the book, but of course we're going to spoil everything. This book is so many years old anyway. So. We also get the fact that, you know, the the rest of the hull of the Enterprise isn't quite all complete. Like, you know, there's parts of it where, you know, it, it's not, it's not you know, fully space-worthy yet, you know. Uh, and so, really get the feeling like, uh, you know, all that's still in progress. Whereas in A Flag Full of Stars, you know, we're raising the saucer up to be put with the main hull, and they're really actually basically getting to the point where the motion picture could happen much sooner. So uh, it is just strange to me that they would choose that. Cause again, like there's a lot of story plot here that doesn't necessarily, it's not like it, it does anything to fly in the face of a flag full of stars, but it doesn't actually fill in a lot of those personal stories that we had been kind of getting. In fact, I would say, strangely enough, too, I mean, this book really doesn't focus on Kirk at all. This isn't really his story. Uh, it, this is more Sulu and Chekhov and their stories about what they're going through and, and you know, the, the things that they're growing in here. And I, I think it's, I mean, it's, again, it's not a bad thing. I was just kind of thrown. Well, yeah, because
1: it doesn't really even mention anything from the other books there's really no connection it really does feel like it's a standalone because the only thing that i can think of in here that references anything we've learned from the previous books is that riley is kirk's whatever secretary or whatever that position is that he's doing for kirk but there's nothing else like there's nothing that addresses Mm -hmm anything we've learned about kirk or anybody else from the previous books or any events that happened like you said his marriage so it well you know because it really does just focus on uhura and Chekhov and sulu so right you know but again kirk is involved in this book lightly yep but there's really no no other characters from the other books that appear here
0: well and i mean it yeah when we talk about like the way it's connecting with the series you know again we know this happens beforehand because kirk is still a a diplomatic troubleshooter you know he's still doing that job so what again it's just kind of interesting to me the way that it fits in it doesn't you know take anything away from the series it doesn't do anything that um really flies in the face of anything that we've read so far. I just thought it was very interesting, the the story that we get here, because the other, I felt like the Lost Years and a Flag Full of Stars kind of follow up, uh, you know, pretty well. And this one, again, it, it, its focus is really on, quote unquote, some of the more minor characters of the main cast with, you know, Kirk and McCoy, and Spock even, I mean, Spock's just a mention in this book. You know, there there isn't anything for them to do. So I, I was kind of surprised, but I was also kind of glad that this book gave us an opportunity to explore then character growth for other characters. So we really fill in the storyline here for what Chekhov is doing, why he's going to be a uh, security officer in the motion picture. And, you know, what Sulu has been doing and even what Ahura has been doing since this time period where, you know, they could probably get assigned to other things. But in all honesty, they're basically waiting around to be, you know, repositioned back on the Enterprise. They don't want any other ship. And, And so I really appreciated that this book was really about filling in their story gaps, especially with Chekhov, because, I mean... He makes this jump from being kind of a command officer to security, and we never have any explanation whatsoever when you get to the motion picture.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths about this book is it focuses on those three and gives us that background as to what they're doing during this time and why and I really like that especially like you said with Chekhov because I often wonder why would he want to go the route of security and even when he's in the security academy the other cadets are wondering why he's there because they've gone through the security route and he's kind of jumping in feet first and he doesn't fit this typical security type person but this is something he's decided that he wanted to get off that command track and to go into security that that's where he's going to really get to go on away missions and do a lot of things and really expand his horizons and a lot of things that he studied. And I like that we're getting into all this character depth with these three because we don't always get that with these three characters. But you know what we were saying earlier about this book not really having a big connection to the others, it doesn't hurt it at all because we're focusing on this group who aren't focused on the other, on in the other books. So I like that. And to your point, they are literally waiting for the enterprise. They're even questioned by people, why are you doing, you know, flying stealth You know, ships, test ships, Sulu. Why are you doing that when you could be off on another starship or doing some other bigger assignment? It's like, well, because I'm waiting for the Enterprise. Oh, my.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, especially with the Chekhov story, was the fact that he had applied for command school. Right. And he was turned down because of his age. And so he thought that security would be a great route to go one to help when he reapplies in five years uh, when he's, you know, hopefully back from a five year mission with the enterprise. But at the same time, there is this part of him that really appreciated his experience on the enterprise and what he had seen security officers doing and the way that they put their lives on the line for the crew. Uh, That was something that really spoke to him. And therefore that's what caused him to go. And I, I really thought, again, you know, like you said, this is a great book in the sense that it really allows us to kind of get into the psyche of Sulu. It allows us to get into the psyche of Chekhov. And it allows us to kind of get into the psyche a little bit of Uhura in ways that we've never done before. And the fact that, yeah, they are so sold out to being back on the Enterprise, but this really kind of gives us an opportunity to dig into their lives a little bit. And... We kind of get to see, like, their closeness. Like, you have the top three, right, with Spock, McCoy, and Kirk. And you have these three, right? And they really have this very close-knit relationship. Like, they're going out to dinner together uh, all the time. They're hanging out together. Um, They're, they're, you know... To me, I thought that that was... A really nice thing to see that they've kind of created this tiny little, uh, you know, trinity as well within the, the, you know, the main cast of the Enterprise that we know. All of that, I just, I was really appreciating. Um, And I, I mean, yeah. And so the Chefagov story is the strongest one here, but I mean, you know, getting Sulu being a test pilot for, you know, different shuttles and everything, I thought was also fascinating and definitely seemed like something that he would do. And I liked the way that this was kind of connecting with things that we would learn later on, especially throughout the movies, like when in Star Trek Four, when he's, you know, really interested in Huey, right? And uh, the fact that he kind of understands that, the fact that he would have practiced on flying on old machines as well as you would expect him to be interested in flying top of the line you know experimental craft because that's what really gets sulu going is this idea of especially at this time period of being you know on on the front lines of flight Yeah, I mean, this
1: really makes a lot of sense for his character, because if you had to wonder what was he doing between the time of the original five-year mission and then the motion picture, I mean, yeah, he's this helmsman. He's this pilot. I mean, it only makes sense that if he's not off on some other starship, what else would he be doing? This is perfect. He's testing this new device, this new cloaking device that they're trying out on these test shuttles and It just seems like it would be something he would do. And the benefit of this novel of when it was written, it was published in 1994. So all those movies had already been out. So they could use that background that they've learned of these characters, even through all the movies, like you're saying, piloting the helicopter in... Star Trek 4 so it makes sense it connects that with Sulu for sure and then even in the movies we learn about Uhura doing you know Starfleet Academy mm-hmm. training which we also get into this
0: book yeah I-, I liked that the fact that she is a professor and uh, I loved kind of seeing her in that role um, we really get to see her you know be more involved with that and and interestingly enough we kind of give her Uh, a little bit of a love interest in Mbenga, which I thought was kind of cool too, this idea that he had never wanted to seem like he was pursuing her, but, you know, he kind of really did want a relationship with her, and she's like, well, why didn't you just ever say that? You know, and they kind of have this kind of funny uh, little connection there, and again, I thought it was great to really kind of break open these characters that we haven't spent a ton of time with, and see them move forward uh and, and see them progress but also at the same time and and we've mentioned this but i really do think that it it is fascinating how just like kirk these characters don't want to let go of the enterprise and i i loved kind of seeing that you know that that these three characters have that same desire that you know kirk has to, to be on the Enterprise, and that was really cool. But this is an interesting thing, though, if you think about it, because they want
1: to be on the Enterprise, but they know that when they get to the Enterprise, Kirk isn't going to be there. They don't know that because now he's earthbound, he's an admiral. So you'd think they'd have a lot of concerns of like, well, who's going to be the commander of the starship? It's not going to be Kirk anymore. In some ways, I would think they'd want to move on to something because Kirk's half the reason why you would want to be on the Enterprise. It's not just the ship and the crew you're with, but it's your commander too. And maybe they were just, you know, it's not addressed in the book, but maybe they were holding out hope that he would somehow work his way back because he's always said he's going Mm -hmm. to try to win her back.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I I get that completely. Um, And I think your uh, it, it is an interesting thing, but I also wonder if they don't just feel like He's going to be there somehow. Right. That's what I'm you know, Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think you're right. Um, you know, I think I was really interested in this book and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this because I, I think maybe this could kind of throw people. But the the way that they portray Earth here, Earth of this time period, was really fascinating. And I wanted to get your take on that because it doesn't feel all that dissimilar to our world. But at the same time, I think back to TOS and even the TOS movies, especially like Star Trek Three. You know, uh, when you know McCoy's trying to to get the ship to go to the Genesis sector and everything. Um, a lot of this just feels very familiar. Um And not all that different. So how did you feel about that? Because I feel like this might be something that could turn some people off.
1: Yeah, I think it could. I mean, it turned me off maybe just a little but At the same time, I was thinking, you know, more than likely when you're writing a book that's taking place in the 23rd century on Earth, you really make it so different from the way things are now. But then when in reality, it's going to be a little different, but maybe not that drastically different. But at the same time, it did feel like it was more in today's time. And a lot of the story to me, you really, it. it, the story in some ways to me feels like something that could have been written out of Star Trek. And all they did was just replace the names and, and change a few things to make it a Star Trek book because it's so earthbound. And there's all these familiar locations at least for me, that they were at, because you know I grew up in Maryland and I know the Inner Harbor and all, all, you know Annapolis and all these places they're talking about, and so, you know, hearing all these locations and the money—that was the other thing that was really can, kind of bothering me. There was so much focus on money and people's wealth and people's income that, you know, in some ways I felt like it was a little too much of that because. From indications we've had the future, not to say that there isn't money of some type in the future, but it just seemed to be a big focus on people trying to make money. And that just didn't feel very Star Trek
0: to me. I, I do see what you're saying, but I also felt as though that the movies had given us this opening to be able to show people still having some kind of wealth right in money and there's still being this currency system right and that you know it's not we we don't you really hear that there's absolutely no currency until you get to the 24th century right so that there's still this process that there is currency um and and i think that's what makes this book fascinating is it just runs with that idea that the, that there are still people of wealth. There are still people of uh, th- there is still the money consideration for people. Uh, obviously, it's it's not a thing to which um, drives their lives com- completely are our, our, our quote unquote good characters. Right. But it does still have an implication for some people in this story. Um and that these are the last vestiges of, of that being dealt with. And I think um that's fascinating to me. And I I think even in the next generation we see corporations, you know, and and, 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 and people that aren't a part of Starfleet, you know, um and and, and these things that drive them. And I thought that this was really, to me, it was really interesting, and it created a really interesting story. Um, And I especially liked the way that it tied into the entire story itself, that that there are... Everybody's not in Starfleet. Everybody's uh, uh, thought process is not the altruistic Star Trek yet. And I thought that this fit perfectly with what we even see... uh, in the kind of world of star trek 6 you know like the corruption of starfleet the, the 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 fact that there would be people that would be uh, thinking these type of things and in fact this plot fe- felt very familiar to that in a good way in the sense that these are the last vestiges of of people really struggling with the the moving away from from wealth moving away from the ideas of i would say you know some some racism still here very apparent um and and living in a still more dangerous quadrant like the alpha quadrant is such a much more dangerous quadrant and uh in this time period you know we're we're living on the verge of of possible war with klingons with romulans you know uh, you know the federation is kind of surrounded by uh, enemies and so the fact that where we go in the story we might deal with that um and and people might be looking at it differently I thought to me really worked.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just, sometimes it just felt too contemporary to me. That was just the problem. It was just, there was just, too many times it just felt like it was more this our world now than the sure. future there wasn't too many differences but it's also uh, suffers from the time it was written too because our technology has evolved and one thing that really jumped out yep. to me was when Chekhov was trying to reach out to McCoy and he goes to like a phone communication system and mm-hmm. he realizes oh he may be further away from McCoy than he thought because they're really not that far me- from each other but from where he is in relation to McCoy it it's going to be a long distance phone call and he's got to pay. Oh, for right. That. Yeah. You know, it's like there's too many little things like that that would just kind of take me out of it that felt a
0: little mm-hmm. too contemporary. But um, yeah, no, but I understand well, your and, point. Yeah. And, but at the same time, too, I was thinking like even if you had communications devices like we do now, you know, it's easily tracked. Right. So he's trying to call from a place where things aren't as easily tracked, which I thought you know, was really, really interesting. Um, and so, but yeah, you're right. I mean, absolutely. Technology has completely shifted in the way things, you know, move uh, and, in the way we work, right. And the way we communicate with one another from, you know, 1996. Yeah. So, Cause even when um, I watch
1: new Star Trek stuff today, yeah. the new stuff they're making, I keep thinking, well, you know, where's the internet, you know, they're not yeah, carrying around yeah.
0: devices where they're like, Well, I'll just yep. chat with somebody. <laughs> you yep. know? Yep. A hundred percent. No, you're you're absolutely right. So um let's I mean, let's get into the plot here of this idea of kind of we have this corporation uh who's run by a previous Starfleet Admiral and who still holds a ton of sway and His goal is to create galactic war between the Romulans and the Klingons by taking the cloaking device that Kirk had stolen, selling its plans to the Klingons, and taking a Klingon disruptor that had been procured by Starfleet and selling that to the Romulans and creating this war between those two and letting them duke it out. Um, And then, you know, (laughs) whoever is left standing, the Federation would be able to deal with. So we answer the question, one, of how the Klingons get the cloaking device, which is kind of cool. And how did you feel about this idea? Uh, And and how did this play out for you as kind of answering some of those questions is the way Star Trek kind of changed again from the series to the films and, and kind of filling in some of those gaps.
1: I thought it filled the gaps perfectly. Uh, it really worked for me. It made a lot of sense because so much what we hear about the cloaking device, Federation doesn't really get to use it, but you know they're experimenting with it. You know they're looking mm-hmm. at it. And so we get to see that. And to your point, then we see how, you know, how did the Klingons get this cloaking device eventually? And it's answered here, but it's all because, you know, there's all this motivation from certain characters here in Starfleet that are trying to benefit from this and they want this war to go on between the Klingons and the Romulans and count us out. Mm -hmm. But they also want to have the knowledge of this technology that, you know, maybe one day we would use it, meaning we, the Federation could use it against our enemies. And Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it worked because again, this is the perfect scenario for Sulu at this time. And so if he's doing all these test simulations and test flights, it would make sense that, you know, there's some new technology there mm-hmm. in this cloaking device that he would take and and test with them. And it plays out in their story, it's it becomes something that's useful when trying
0: to save mm-hmm. Chekhov through his experiences. Yeah, I mean the whole idea of like you said, one that the Federation is is looking into this technology, uh, and two, and trying to figure out how it might use it. Two, the idea that they would have the disruptor technology, and three, that there is an a thought process of somebody within the Federation that not only would he create a war between the Romulans and the Klingons hoping whoever wins is weaker and then we have a much easier chance of dealing with them but that because he is a weapons dealer i mean he he his company helps create weapons that he will then become richer because of the amount of weapons he'd be able to sell to the federation and keeping you know the starfleet supplied and also having people want to buy more, you know, force fields and all these type of things like he's going to be making bank off this as well as people look to keep safe. And so he's creating fear in the galaxy that he's going to profit from. I don't know if that sounds familiar to everybody, but Yeah. I was like, wow, I really love this story because one, he he does think it's going to be a good thing. Right. For the people, of the Federation in the end, because whoever's left standing, he believes is is going to be weaker and easier to deal with. At the At Same time, he's not doing it for altruistic reason. He's doing it to get rich. Right, because he is rich. <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah. He's a billionaire, which I thought was funny, too. They kept referring to him as a billionaire. And I thought, well, yeah, because money at that point, probably billionaires like millionaire to us now. He
0: may not be as rich. As so anything. he's the Jeff Bezos of the 23rd century. That's right. Exactly.
1: But, you know, it wasn't revealed until later in the book that it was him that was behind all of this. But I knew it from the get go. I don't know about you because his character yeah. didn't really seem to have any place in this book. Like he was just hanging around Yora and she's like, why mm-hmm. is he here? But okay, this old rich guy is just like hanging out here. And I was like, he's got to yeah. have something to do with this. Right. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that he would be so involved in this and it, it does make a lot sense because it's very complex, right? It's not just, oh, he wants to make money. It's a big part of it. But it's also that he wants this war. He wants to protect Earth and the Federation, and this is his way of doing it. And it may seem wrong to us, but it feels right to him because this, you know, this is the only way it's going to happen. This is the only way we can protect ourselves is having those two go at each other and keep us out of it instead of them coming to us. Which is pointed out later to him, that okay, well, as soon as one wins over the other, what is the winner going to do? They're eventually going to come after us. So this is going to blow up in your face eventually anyway. This is not the route to go. But, you know, that's what he believes. And, of course, then he motivates others to do it for the same reasons, to help him with the, getting the disruptor and and everything else that he's put into motion. And we haven't even talked about Dr. Piper, but, you know... <laughs> yeah, the result of that is because there's still these cadets and officers are motivated by the wealth that he can mm-hmm. give them in security right. of new jobs in his corporation.
0: I thought that that worked well because of the way that you would, you would always be able to seduce people with wealth, right? Uh, especially here where wealth is still important in the sense that people are still making money um you know and and here we're just getting to the fact that replicators are becoming a thing you know for food so that's just starting so we're we're still at this point where you know wealth and money and and, and things are still important to people and and it's the idea of power right it's not just money but it's the the power to which this guy has that he can then begin he can seduce people with Um, and, and so I think to me, that is one of the things that really works about the story. And yes, it's kind of, it's, it's darker, um, and it, and it has a much darker feel to it, but it does really, I think, fit with this, the, the TOS aspect of the story, the, the time period that this is written in and the way in which I think, these this part of the Star Trek universe still feels, right you know um and i I really responded to this because something that really shocked me about this book uh, and it, it was different from almost every other Star trek book that i've I've read is that this book is a thriller, like this book feels more like a almost like a James Patterson style you know thriller where we're just kind of we hit the ground running and the book never lets up. And it's a mystery. It you know, I mean as to what's happening, what's going on. We've got our, our crew framed. Um and I, I really appreciated that aspect of the book is because So many times I read so many Star Trek books and they all kind of feel similar because they all have the same structures. And this book really was different than I expected going in.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, I love that you're saying this because this is where I struggle because in a lot of ways when I'm reading it, it doesn't feel like a Star Trek book. But at the same time, so many Star Trek books are similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so you want something different. And so I did appreciate that was something different. I mean, first of all, it is earth bound, which we're not mm-hmm. used to getting in Star Trek novels. So right. that's a unique situation. And we're focusing on these three more minor characters from mm-hmm. TOS, which is unusual too, in most Star Trek novels. So and LA Graf are these two women who uh, write novels together. Originally they wrote ice. Uh, trap with another author, three of them, but the rest of them, there was two of them. And they typically in their novels focus on these three characters usually. So this is a pattern for them. And they also seem to always love the environment and nature because they seem to have a they seem to usually go into a lot of detail about volcanoes and weather conditions mm-hmm. and things like that in their novels, which I was picking up some of that in this too, because you know there's a lot of talk about snow and stuff. But, um, but that's what makes this novel unique compared to other novels. But at the same time, when you're going to re- read a Star Trek novel, there was times I was feeling like, well, it doesn't even really quite feel like Star Trek, but it is. And that's where I was getting back to the a lot of the things about the corporations and the money and all, and the different locations and like acetique Island, which I've been to many times and hearing about that, it, a lot of it was just too familiar that it was feeling mm-hmm. contemporary and not feeling like Star Trek, but our Star Trek characters are in it. So I text you earlier this week saying, I kind of have mixed feelings about this book and that's why, because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's good. I liked it. It was a page turner, but at the same time, I'm like it, Kind of doesn't feel like a Star Trek novel, so that kind of is a little weird. So yeah, that's where I kind of have this weird mixed mm-hmm. feelings about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can understand exactly. I mean, I I can't fault you for that. Um, but I think that's exactly the thing that I love about this book. Like, I, in in all honesty, I get super tired of reading the same structure every time, and and this is where like I think. You know, Star Trek, like Star Wars, you can do different types of stories and put a Star Trek spin on it. So it's like they took the idea of, like, the thriller. Uh, they almost like... Uh, it, it's like Star Trek The Fugitive because that's what this is, really, you know, where you have a character who's been accused of something that they didn't actually do, and, and the whole thing is is about unraveling that. And I think, to me... I just, absolutely works you know um and it's it was so much fun to kind of like wanting to be turned the page to see what's going to happen next to see who's kind of behind all this and see how they're going to figure all this out and that's that to me was the most fun like i just had a great time reading this book and yeah i i, I want more star trek books i feel like to take this type of risk where we're telling a story that you haven't seen a thousand times. Yes. Which I definitely appreciate.
1: And I, I, just to kind of back to what I'm saying, I, I love that too about the book, but I have to be honest. I've always struggled with a lot of the books written by LA Graf. I don't, I don't know if it's the writing style. It's never the story. It's just the style mm-hmm. of writing. And before we start recording on the other side of the page, you said something about the book being very straightforward, and maybe that's mm-hmm. their style is very straightforward, and it doesn't work for me as well. So I was struggling as I was thinking no, I wasn't struggling with the book necessarily, but I was struggling about with my feelings of the book because I know I really mm-hmm. like the story, and I really like focusing on these characters, but it's like their writing style just makes me mm-hmm. feel a little awkward you know when i'm reading it i don't know why
0: yeah that's i mean i guess i'm i'm on the other side because i i really responded to it like i just i felt like it was fast paced it was pretty well written i didn't feel like anybody felt like completely out of character which was good mm-hmm. um and i was really enjoying the story now I, I will we talked a little bit about the idea that Kirk is not in this book a lot. One thing that didn't seem to quite come together was the idea of why we're framing Kirk and his crew. and my guess was is that Kirk is not somebody who can be bought. And that's why we're trying to kind of get rid of Kirk. But I don't know. What do you think? That's a good question. I,
1: I, Yeah, I don't think we really got that answer. I mean, they kept, you know, Kirk was suspicious that somebody was out to frame him and they, they were going through Chekhov and Sulu. But, mm-hmm. yeah, when we got when that was really confirmed by the end, I don't really recall why they, the focus was on him what what advantage mm-hmm. that gives unless they just need a scapegoat they needed attention on someone else but you're to your point maybe because i mean this guy that we're talking about this billionaire, i think his i think his name was kale i think that's what it was yes yep so i think that you know he was a former starfleet captain in his early days so maybe he was looking at kirk as like i know the boy scout and the boy scout could prevent this from happening and kirk seems to be the lead one that seems to stop these types of things from happening. So instead of Mm -hmm. anybody like wondering what's happening and it's reflecting on me, I want it to reflect on them because they're the last people that you may suspect that would be doing Mm -hmm. this. And so that would get a lot of attention and take the attention off of us. Maybe it's something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that could definitely be part of it. Um, I do think one of the things that I... I kind of figured was was just the fact that you know uh, Kirk in who he is has shown himself to be somebody who is incorruptible and therefore and and wouldn't want to be a part of of any of this the if he ever found out you know um and would be somebody who might be able to uncover this plot, you know, like it, Kirk is just resourceful in that way. So I I think if there was anything about the book that felt like one kind of downfall for me was the fact that we never really kind of answer that question, I feel like. Um, but otherwise, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't really struggle with anything in the book. And, and you know, like I said, I, I felt like it really ended up working out, you know, well for me. So, I don't know. I I'm I'm really interested to hear where you come down then with the rating for trader wins.
1: That's a very good question too. You always have very good questions, Matt. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, it's we, we do a rating for every book. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Oh wow. Thanks for the reminder. Um so I would say I okay. I was As I was reading this book, again, I really did enjoy the story. I never found a point where I wanted to just sit it down and maybe I'll get to the rest later. I just kept going. So I read this, I think I read this in three days and it was an easy read for me. And so that's a good point. Even though I said I'm not a big fan of the style of L.A. Graph, I think this is one of my more favorite of theirs. So far out of the three Lost year novels, I think this is probably the best one of the three, but I gave the first one a bit of a higher grade than I'll probably give this one only because I had sentimental reasons for it because it's the book that kind of started me <laughs> into reading Star Trek books. So I had to give it a little extra boost because of that. But I do think this one is probably the better of the three when it, in terms of story. And as I said, it sometimes felt a little too contemporary doesn't always feel like a Star Trek novel, but that could be good, but you know, that can be bad what you're looking for. Um, there were things in here that were a little too convenient at times where all these characters from the Enterprise seemed to just randomly show up or, you know, I'm going to call where it was. Kirk was calling whatever Greenland or Iceland or something. And just so happens Rand answers. Oh, Rand, is that you? It's like, that was a little too convenient. So there's little things like that, that bothered me, but again, focus on Ahura and Chekhov and Sulu and the mystery that's going on and how are they going to get out of it uh, was really enjoyable. And everything about this makes sense that connects to the rest of Star Trek and what these characters would be doing at this time. So that being said, I'm going to give this one $3.5 billion out of $5 billion.
0: Wow. Wow. That's great. I... Really liked this book. I think you're absolutely right. I do think this is the best book so far in this series. Um, mainly just because it's the most cohesive. It it feels the most connected with everything we know from, you know, the original series and everything we know from the TOS movies. Uh, I felt like there were less questions in it to where, like, what? I don't understand how that connects. Or, you know, just like, the, I don't know. I, I think... The the stuff about, like, Kirk getting married and the, and the other, b- other books and the fact we never really even see that and all that stuff, those, those kind of create massive questions. But here, I felt like they did a great job of creating a story that held together well. It kept my interest and it kept me going because I wanted to know what happened to these characters and... I was really struck by, and I loved the fact that this didn't feel like every single other Star Trek book that I've read with just kind of like an A, B, and C plot, and, you know, it's some mystery of, like, quote-unquote science. You know, this really kind of dug into the universe of Star Trek. And and what I'll say, and I think I just realized one of the things I loved about this, it felt more like Deep Space Nine. In the sense of why we're we're digging into the reality of what it's like to live in this universe. And the fact that not everybody feels the same about things. I think that's what makes this book so great. Is that it, it shows the reality of living in this universe. And that not... You know, we always talk about the idea of, you know, Star Trek and kind of having monolithic cultures. And in many ways... Star Trek kind of created a monolithic culture out of the Federation. And Deep Space Nine always broke that apart. And and this book, I think, does a great job of breaking that down, too. So I think that's one of the things I love about it. And so I'm going to say that I'm giving this book four out of five billionaires. Nice. Nice. So I think, you know,
1: it sounds like as we talk through the book that we were maybe a little far apart on it, but we were actually fairly close. I gave it 3.5, mm-hmm. you gave it 4. Yeah. So we're not that far off. So yeah, it, it's a good read. But I love what you had said about Deep Space Nine. That That is stirring through my head right now. It, my wheels are turning because you're right. There's
0: aspects of that that kind of feel like a Deep Space Nine story. I like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, anytime a book or any part of Star Trek can kind of crib off the best. It always works for me. So, Bruce, if people want to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, or maybe they want to talk a little Trader Wins with you, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and that's Admiral with the under... Line
1: Rex. And then I'm also on Positively Trek with Dan Gunther, where we do talk also about books. We're actually reading Enterprise The First Mission, which is, I'm sorry, The First Adventure, which was the first book I ever read. Last year's was the second one I read. But, uh, but yeah, we're talking about Lower Decks on the season two on there and everything Star Trek and also the Star Wars report, which is seeing its final year. And uh, I don't know when we're recording another episode, but maybe as you hear this, we have a new one. I don't know. It all depends on Riley.
0: <laughs> well, you could find me on all the social media platforms that I'm on. Matt rushing 2 just search for that and you'll find me. Uh, You can find me here, of course, doing the 602 Club on TFM. So we talk about all things geeky that aren't Star Trek related. Of course, we've got Snyder cuts in that same feed where John Mills and I talked about all of the things that Zack Snyder had directed. So great feed to check out is the 602 Club. Uh, You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One, I finished with Drea Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And I do aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But you know what? Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.